This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to The Late Show with Holly Kingmand, live from the lovely Leighton Buzzard. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, right. Good evening, everybody. Thank you to those of you who are joining me this evening for this slightly spooky Halloween special. I'm going to be talking to Julian Clare, who is an exotic pet specialist, and we're going to be talking about um, a Northampton school that closed its doors for three days due to a suspected false widow outbreak. And uh, I'll also be talking to Hannah Ricks, co-founder of Reading Mate, about the ghost walks that she does around the city where her school is based to aid learning. So lots of interesting chit chat tonight. Um, I've also got a bit of a treat for you all in the form of a spell to summon spiders. Um, Now, this is actually premiering on Instagram tomorrow from by, I should say, Nadine Wild Palmer, who's a children's writer, poet, and um, performer. And she's given permission for me to let you all hear it first um, before we welcome Julian Clare in to talk about spiders and share his expertise about spiders and, and how we should treat them, what we should look out for, why they're important, and so on. But first of all, I suppose I should probably give you an update on how exciting the last week has been for me. So all the usual stuff, it's half term. I work from home, I teach online. So um, in many ways, not a lot has changed for me, although I've been exceptionally busy teaching online. Um, Having the children at home, absolutely insane. Eldest daughter, was four yesterday so we've had lots of cake and balloons and overtired children and all sorts husband who's a teacher is also home so it's been a bit mad but we've also had some really really exciting <laughs> very exciting news so I've been invited by um, Leighton and Lindslade Town Council to turn on the Christmas lights Um, This is like a dream come true for me. I just, I love a good fairy light anyway, but to be invited to do something like that in front of the whole town to launch the start of the Christmas festival really is something quite exciting for me and and my gang. So um, yeah, it's been a good week for us. So um, if you have had any spooky goings on in your school, and in the run up to Halloween or in the past or even when you were younger, uh, when you were at school, did you have ghosts? When I was in primary school, we definitely had ghosts in the girls' toilets. Um, but if you've got any great stories that you'd love to call in and tell me about, I would love to hear them. Uh, your 
very welcome to tweet me. Um, my handle is at Holly's Classroom, or you can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, all the usual places. Or the very best way, of course, is just to come on to Podbean and listen live. And you can call in directly through the Podbean app. That's absolutely the best way to um, give me a call. So um, what we're going to start with, like I said, was this wonderful little treat for us from Teachers Talk Radio, from the Dean World Palmer to Teachers Talk Radio, to you all, um, a lovely little poem, a spell to summon spiders. All spindle spinners and weavers come, mesh makers, catchers, trappers run. You're welcome in this wicked web to scare all children back to bed with bulbous abdomens and hairy legs. Come rest with us within this hedge. Come creeping, crawling, skulking here, lurking in the shadows deep and near. To jump out at any passers-by Who dare to follow their wandering eye To the spider which is appalling abode Whence you wonder you'll not return home Lovely. Okay, so that was a really nice little poem um, to summon the spiders this Halloween from Nadine Wild Palmer, who is children's writer, poet and performer. And um, like I said, she'd given me some very special permission to share that on Teachers Talk Radio this evening ahead of its premiere on her um, Instagram um, platform tomorrow. Uh, so spiders, do we like them? I personally don't mind them too much. Um, the rest of my family are terrified of them. We have a few of the, you know, the, the really skinny, sort of floaty, almost ghost-like looking ones that hang around in our porch. And I've had to tell the children that they're there to protect the house. That's the only way I can get away with having them there. Otherwise, every other day we'd be going there, scooping them up and sending them out into the cold, which is not very nice for them. They've got to live somewhere, haven't they? Goodness. <laughs> uh, right. OK, so um, what we're going to do now is hear from some of our wonderful sponsors. And after we've heard from them, we will be speaking to Julian Clare, who is an exotic pet specialist. He's going to talk to us about spiders, um, the uh, false Black Widow sightings there were in Northampton um, last month that forced two schools to close their doors for three days. And we're going to talk about why spiders are important, um, what classrooms in other countries um, can expect um, in terms of spiders and how they deal with spiders. And um, I'll also be asking him what's the best exotic pet to have in the classroom. Um, so if it, that's the kind of thing that you're thinking of introducing into your classroom, uh, then definitely stay tuned. And um, you can always call in and ask, ask Julian directly. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more, 
and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Right, okay, so uh, welcome back from listening to our wonderful sponsors. And um, I've, I'm really excited because Julian Clare has arrived in our um, digital studio and um, we'll be hearing from him in just a moment. But I did ask everybody, do you like the spiders? Are spiders your thing? What do you do when you find a spider in the classroom? Is it one of those moments where everybody jumps on the table and says, miss, miss? or sir 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 there's a spider there's a spider it's the, just the ideal thing isn't it for kids to disrupt a lesson they don't want to be in spot a spider um hannah in the uh as, as messaged into the studio saying that her mum always used to say that spiders keep the bugs at bay um so that's why she doesn't throw them outside and not because she's terrified of them that's a really really good point hannah yes um i often think that as well but i do try to, i try to keep in my mind They've got to go somewhere, haven't they? And um, provided they're not sneaking into my bed or, or sort of like arachnophobia style crawling into my mouth whilst I'm snoring, then that's fine. They can chill in the corner of the house. Fine by me. Um, Sobia says uh, she gets someone else to remove them at home, um, but she, she does it herself in the classroom. Yeah, because we all have to act really... Um, strong and and sort of capable in the classroom don't we we don't really want to be showing those fears um although i think if you are really that terrified then it is it's nice to show that personable side or, or that real life side of your of your character right okay so uh i welcome julian claire into our studio this evening good evening julian Good evening, Holly. How are you? Okay. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that yeah, you come with such a wealth of expertise. Um, and um, this isn't just about spiders in the classroom. This is also about educating people about spiders for you, isn't it? Of course it is. It's very much a positive thing for me. And, good. Um, I'm very, very pleased to hear the point which has already been raised by um, Hannah's mum regarding <laughs> spiders keeping bugs at bay. And it's a really, really important point because without spiders on a, on a global level, you know, we'd have a much, much bigger problem with disease because they help control malaria via mosquito control. But also, you know, a wider implication in terms of our food and the mm. way that our food is produced. And spiders are largely responsible for uh, the control 
of insects which would naturally try to destroy our food crops so if you were to remove spiders and similar organisms you know from the world if you could develop a, a spider eraser or a spider rubber and just suddenly remove it overnight uh, then our lives would be very very different and that's just from a food perspective uh, and a disease perspective so we've got much to thank them for yeah well it sounds like it absolutely and um, if what other insects whilst we're on the the topic are or insects or reptiles what other ones are completely crucial for our survival or would you say they all are let's say well let's 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 talk about um it's halloween let's talk about creepy crawlies okay let's, excellent let's, let's, <laughs> let's broaden it to to snakes and scorpions you know sc scorpions and spiders we're loosely going to refer to them as arachnids but um reptiles of which obviously includes snakes uh, all these your amphibians your frogs your toads your newts let's keep up with that halloween theme yes <laughs> Ecosystems are so, so fragile and everything has a part to play. Now, nobody wants to buy a jigsaw without one piece missing and it makes all the difference. And sometimes when it comes to ecosystems, removing the smallest piece can have devastating, irreversible um, effects which are very very long term sometimes it could take centuries if any time at all to actually recover from so absolutely everything plays its part that's quite and an interesting point actually julian because we've probably got some science and biology teachers um listening in this evening and i wonder if any of them have that fear of spiders whether they're sort of carefully lifting them out of their classrooms um when they come in to disrupt everyone um, without harming them because they know how important their role is in our survival. I, I, I did promise you today when we had this chat that I would remain objective. It was very, <laughs> very easy for me to come across as, you know, not being objective. But it's really, really important that we take these things on balance because what we should be dealing with when it comes to these animals, and I'm loosely talking about spiders, scorpions, Mm -hmm. snakes etc it's it's a very big part of our inner psyche to be to be scared of these things in the same way that we should be feared fearing heights fearing deep water fearing fire because all these things are built into our kind of human psyche and if we avoid these things then yes we avoid danger and we will live for so much longer but let's not talk about the fear, because sometimes being scared is important and we're scared for a reason. What I want to talk about today with regard to these animals that we're loosely speaking about is the irrational fear. Because the minute I come on the radio and start telling people that all snakes are harmless and they shouldn't be feared or all spiders are harmless and they shouldn't be feared, that would largely be incorrect because we're talking about mainly house spiders and species which mm. are on life threatening in the UK. If you was to give that same message to a child in South Africa or Australia or the East coast of North America, you know, the outcome could be very, very different. So we're talking about dispelling the irrational fear. We're talking about installing an educational message but it's also a case of balance. So let's take a couple of examples now where a lot of people would naturally fear 
venomous snakes. Okay. A well, of, of course, because we naturally think that you know venom is going to be poisonous and it's going to cause us pain or discomfort. Yes. But yeah. how would you? How would you feel? Let's ask a question. So I'm, 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 we're still talking about spiders, but let's open this up to scorpions and let's open it up to venomous snakes. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying not to be scared of, or you know, I'm talking about understanding what drives our fear and whether that is rational or irrational. Now I understand that not everybody likes snakes, but let's think about it on a slightly different level. How would you feel about venomous snakes if you knew that a family member was taking a tablet or was taking some form of drug or medicine which was making their life easier, which was basically prolonging their life, or, you know, was stopped? It could be something as common as somebody who's on a tablet for high or low blood pressure. It could be something which they're taking for type 2 diabetes. How okay. would you... How would you feel if you knew um, that a, a relative in your family, everybody know who, everybody knows somebody who's on a treatment for blood pressure. If there's an elderly relative or somebody who's got diabetes, mm -hmm. and all all of these conditions and all of these illnesses are treated with drugs which are loosely based upon toxins found in snake and lizard venom. That's really interesting. How would so you I feel, wonder how would that well it, how would you feel about venomous snakes if you knew that an elderly relative or not even an elderly relative any relative or a friend owed their life to medicine found within these animals within these animals well you'd just want to protect the the animals as of much as possible you would. wouldn't you you'd probably want to you know create a a, a farm or a system in, in which we could learn more about them and extract their their venom i don't know i'm <laughs> just so thinking it's all, here so it's all about it's all about balance i'll give you another really good example um scorpions the most precious fluid in the world the most expensive and most precious fluid in the world is actually scorpion venom and the reason why it's so expensive is that it's in clinical trials at the moment in the states now scorpions will actually phosphoresce or glow when they are exposed to ultraviolet lighting now we all know that cancer surgery can be a little bit hit and miss when it comes to removing the whole of the cancerous tissue. Sometimes surgeons aren't always successful in removing the whole tumor or the whole body of cancerous tissue. Now, one of the properties of scorpion venom is that the venom itself is very, very good. It actually phosphoresces under ultraviolet light. And scorpion venom is also attracted to cancer cells or cancerous tissue. Now, in the States at the moment, there is there are clinical trials using scorpion venom for what they call tumor paint. And during this process, the actual scorpion venom is synthesized. The toxins are removed from it, so it won't actually kill the patient. Mm when the actual cancerous tissue is injected with with scorpion venom and the operation to remove the tissue is actually held under ultraviolet lighting the cancerous tissue will actually phosphoresce or glow mm. 
dark, making it so much more easy or easier, sorry, terrible English, so much easier for the surgeons to actually remove all of the tissue. So, unfortunately... You know it's, it's, isn't it amazing? It's just nature and just all of these little dots get connected sometimes and you just think, isn't, isn't nature and life just really, really incredible? And the, 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 the thing we need to consider is that we're wiping out species on a daily basis. There are species which we haven't even discovered but have actually made extinct without actually realizing it. Now, as a, as a species in ourselves, we are coming up against a, a lot of issues with our modern lifestyles and our refined diet and what we're doing to the planet. And ah, now, might... I've actually got a question for you about diet, actually, yes. um, whilst you mention that, because um, Sobia has messaged into the studio saying that some people really like um, scorpions to, to eat and they're, they're a delicacy. Yeah. <laughs> Is the venom removed before people eat scorpions, or or is it is it just? I don't. Tell me about how that works. It's um. It will be species specific. Yes, there are some very very dangerous scorpions out there, and these tend to be species which are native to Central Africa and northeastern Australia um, and parts of the world like this. But what we need to understand, you get your what I refer to as your rock star species or your real. <laughs> And there are there, when we talk about venomous snakes, when we talk about scorpions, when we talk about spiders, you know, there are a handful of species that everybody's familiar with because they've heard about them on the TV, they've read about them in books. And for every one, for every one species of scorpion that you've heard of, there are probably thousands that you haven't. And the really dangerous ones actually make up the minority. So when it comes to venomous scorpions and how edible they are, you know, there are very, very few species which will actually be harvested for food, whereas it would largely be the less venomous species which are actually eaten commercially, mainly throughout Southeast Asia. And so actually the sting itself, or to use the correct term, a scorpion stinger is called a telson, T-E-L-S-O-N. And this is very, very easy to remove. And generally what happens is when these scorpions are consumed, they're either deep fried or dipped in chocolate. The actual telson itself is actually used um, almost to hang the scorpion as you actually eat it. And it's almost used like, um, like a skewer. Um, to actually actually eat the scorpion from so actually the telson itself isn't always eaten however we're we're talking about scorpions now forming a part of our diet if you get yourself out to central africa and you watch what meerkats are eating meerkats consume deadly scorpions you know every single day and yet they seem to have um a a a very very kind of high resistance now i don't think i would have the same sort of constitution as a meerkat to be able to they're they're pretty tough animals but also going back to your original point regarding scorpions as food you could quite easily eat a scorpion's telson and not have any ill effects at all because this basically boils back to whether it is a venom or whether it is a poison now there's a it's a really contentious issue 
And particularly when it comes to snakes, if someone's using the wrong terminology, you know, they get jumped on all over the internet, all over, you know, the various social media platforms where someone's used the wrong word. And you know what? It largely doesn't matter. The English language is only one of a very few set of languages that actually have the two words regarding venomous. Oh, really? That's really interesting, particularly for me as as an English teacher. Um, So it's absolutely vital that we understand in in layman's terms, whether we're referring to a snake as being venomous or poisonous, a scorpion or or a tarantula or any spider species, in layman's terms, it doesn't really make too much odds. Now, speaking specifically, a poison will be absorbed or ingested, normally when something is eaten, okay? Whereas a venom will be introduced into our vascular system by injection, either of a ah, bite. Okay, so it's how it's administered to the, I'll say, victim in, adver- in inverted yeah, commas, but it's the so, administering of it. Okay. If you want to, to, putting it very simply, if you bite it, and you become very ill or you die, then it will be poisonous. Mm-hmm. If it, Makes if, total sense. If it bites you and or stings you and you become sick or ill or you eventually die, then you'll be looking at a venom. So loosely speaking, if you bite it, it's poisonous. If it bites you... you- it's venom. venom. Well, that now, brings me quite nicely round, Julian, to talking about the the false widows that yes. seem to have been in the news quite a lot in our region. Now, I know that your Bedfordshire and um, Northampton have had a bit of a spider issue in their schools oh, recently, have. haven't they? Oh, <laughs> Tell have. us what you know about that. I've read the news articles, but I think you've got a slightly better insight having you were the expert being interviewed by a lot of the media at the time. We... um. Well, I have to be very, very careful about this. I have to have an awareness. Now, we made reference earlier to people that are on blood pressure tablets, which are loosely derived from snake venom. Now, I am actually one of these people. And if I read too much about these things which are happening regarding false widows, it doesn't do my blood pressure any good. (laughs) Does it unsettle you a little bit? (laughs) It does a a little bit. But, I mean, it's, it's important that we understand I understand that a lot of people, you've only got to hear the word widow and it rings alarm bells. It does, doesn't it? I can understand why children and and a school and like hysteria can very easily be created around the the language of dangerous spiders. It it boils down, it boils down to the, the informed rational fear versus the irrational fear. Okay, and it's something which we need to really get our handle on because it really does strike fear into a lot of people. It's great for me and it's great for you because you've got an interest in this subject. There are an awful lot of people out there that aren't quite as well informed, have maybe only a a casual knowledge or what they're reading in the red top media. And it's really, really care. It would be really, really important that, that we're not feeding this hysteria. And now I'm not saying 
that we should completely regard these animals as being completely risk free. Now, the the risk is very, very, very. Well, tell us about the risk of a of a, a false widow well, because everyone well, just thinks black widow, false widow, a spider that might kill me, um, a, a, a killing machine in the in the UK. I mean, give us the facts about okay, false widows. Okay. Now, I've got no hard and fast data in front of me at the moment um, to, to support um, bite statistics. However, I, I can speak quite confidently regarding spiders of any species and, you know, the health risks to them and the parts of the world that these spiders are endemic to. First of all, we need to understand, we need to remember it's the false in false widow. Okay, there's nothing widow from from a biological perspective. They 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 bear a passing resemblance. Is that all the the similarity? Is that where it ends? That they they resemble each other from a biological perspective, from a venom composition perspective. There is absolutely nothing about the two spiders which are even remotely similar on a biological level. Now, these spiders, and I'm talking about Steatoda nobilis now, which is the noble false widow, they've been in the UK since the early 1800s, okay? They're native to the Canary Islands and the area around Madeira, which on a global basis is only a stone's throw to the UK. And the chances are they were they started being moved around the world, you know, as we ourselves started to explore different parts of the world and they were carried around on our ships at the time with our food stocks and things. So this is not a new issue. They've been living alongside us for the last couple of hundred years at least. And they haven't uh, really caused that many problems because we only have- tend to speak about them around Halloween or when someone thinks they've seen one. And do you know what? You know, even if even if we've got some physics teachers, you know, listening in, we need to understand that actually the animal itself, um, their jaw, the jaw structure, um, is actually quite weak. You and this actually goes for black widows as well. And now I'm not saying go out and handle them if you've managed to come across one, because I understand this is very much. We may have people listening from all parts of the world now, so I'm not saying for one minute go and handle a spider that you haven't identified but just from a physics perspective you could quite easily handle a you know handle a false widow handle a black widow and they just really haven't got the jaw power to 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 puncture our skin now your next question to me is going to be well how do people get bitten if this is the case yeah how well (laughs) normally where the spider has a little bit of a helping hand where maybe they get into bed clothes or they become become trapped in our clothing and where we are rolling or moving in you know as we sleep if we roll onto the spider and it, it actually is pushed up against our skin then that gives them a little bit of extra pressure where a bite will happen now this is how bites tend to happen and how bites become infected 
even for our biology teachers, I'm sure they'd be very familiar with the situation, freshly washed hands, scrubbed nails will still harbour an awful lot of bacteria. We're not talking about complete sterilisation of our hands. We're talking about bringing down the bacteria levels underneath our nails and on our hands, you know, to a, to a lower mm -hmm. level. So that risk is being managed. The classic scenario is that somebody gets bitten by a false widow when the spider becomes rolled upon in bed sheets or gets caught in our clothing and at night do you know what if you've got a scratch then if you if you've got an itch then you're going to scratch that itch without even waking up so what tends to happen is the spiders bite people in their sleep when they're rolled upon you know that develops into a bit of an itch which we scratch and it's invariably the infection which causes the rawness, the redness. And this is when we get suddenly some of our newspapers pick up upon this because people send these photographs off because it makes for a really great headline and sells lots of newspapers. <laughs> what, you're, what, you're, what you're seeing is it's largely the result of a secondary infection where we've scratched the wound. Um, you know, the initial bite itself, people probably get bitten by false widows an awful lot more than they realize. But I'm not just talking about spiders now. I'm talking about flies. I'm talking about mosquitoes. You know, when we get that scratching activity, when we get that bacteria kind of introduced to the wound, this is when we get secondary infections and these bites get really quite angry and infected. They start to weep. And, this and is, is that when we see all these pictures on, on the internet of, you know, these exactly. really terrifying spider bites? Yes. So, I mean, what, what I don't, what I'm not going to say, and is it this, we need to make this very, very clear, is that we, we make parallel judgments. We refer to, you know, well, it's just like a bee or a wasp thing. It's just like this. It's just like that. We just cannot, as, as a species in ourselves, we just cannot baseline our health. What one person experiences from yeah. a, from a sting, a bite, it could be something as simple as a stinging nettle. What one person experiences is going to be very different to the next person. As a species ourselves, you know, if we were all the same height, weight, size, shape, you know, if we were born, you know, exactly from the same mold then yes you could baseline what happens to patient a b c and d but we just can't do that and, and such is and such is his life isn't it exactly and this is, <laughs> and this is why i'm not saying for one minute that there have been bites from spiders of any species where there have been complications. You know, if the casualty is very, very young or elderly or has got an underlying health problem, then yes, it could be more serious. Yes, then it's going to complicate things, isn't it? But we need to, we, with regard to the school closures, I don't know the full details of it, but we need, we need to really keep our common sense caps on you know what, and talking of common sense then and false widows yes. um and i mean I, I i have read the news articles and it does seem like the school made very sensible decisions to keep their school community safe which is what we, we yeah. expect of our leadership teams in school and um, putting the students and, and our children first yeah. um but if your average person tomorrow maybe one of our listeners goes outside 
or as they're in the garden or when they're in the bathroom and they see what they think is a false widow, what should yes. they do? Well, if I can just touch upon the school situation, because I, I believe it's important, okay? Mm -hmm. We need to keep the situation in context. Now, whilst I'm not a head teacher or any kind of teacher, whilst I've never actually worked in a school, I'm not going to speak about anything that I don't know about, okay? I'm fully, I'm fully aware of a school's need to safeguard and to assess risk, okay? Mm -hmm. But what we, what we need to understand is if we close a school anywhere in the country because they've got a population of false widows there, they can send the kids home for two days. They can fumigate the school. It's not going to change anything, is it? But they are the spiders are there because they've got a food source, a water source. They've got heat and they've got shelter. Within three or four days, you've got the same problem. For every for every one false widow you see, you've probably got twenty or thirty around. You know, in a thirty foot radius, they're there because they want to be there. Where you see one, there'll be many, many more. So I'm not saying for one minute that in the, the situation we've had with these school closures, I'm not saying that the appropriate steps weren't taken, because to the to the uninformed or to maybe to somebody who hasn't got all of the facts in front of them, I can understand there's a potential risk. We need to manage it. Do you but think that maybe a, a more sensible um, course of action in future for schools, yeah. maybe in the area in Northampton where the, the two, two schools closed, yes. to maybe educate their students about how to behave around spiders if you think you've had, got a spider bite you know not to scratch it to keep it clean do you think that's a better course of action than closure and fumigation what we need to do is let's think about this on a global level now if you were a head teacher in australia or if you was in a if you was a head teacher in a school in florida where you're, or the east coast of North America, where you are getting black widows, you know, they've been moved around the world just as, just as false widows have been. You know, if this cottoned on, if they heard about a school in the UK being shut, you know, if you was a head teacher in Australia, you'd be laughing this out of town. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just how it is. We, we need. I think the Australians always have a good chuckle at us when we're like oh. flapping around with a daddy long legs. There, there hasn't there hasn't been there hasn't been anybody killed around the world by a black widow bite for for decades now. It's actually a very very treatable bite, but the spiders themselves are quite passive. And again, like the false widow, they don't have the jaw strength to actually pose. There are many many spiders around the world which are infinitely worse. But I'm not going to demonise those. We have a species of spider in the UK which is capable of giving a much much nastier bite than false widows but but i'm not even going to name the species because people are going to go away and they're going to google it and they're going to get themselves in the state over it <laughs> and then there'll be more hysteria these spiders um, it's the spiders i'm speaking about are very very rare they occur in very very isolated populations around the southeast but 
but they but they don't bite people unless they're interfered with. What we need to do, not just in Northampton or the UK or Europe, we need to take the lead from a lot of these places around the equator, from places like South Africa and northeastern Australia. We need to learn to live alongside these animals. We need to respect these animals. They have every bit of you know there, there, there's as much right to live on this planet as we do we are but one species you know and when you compare to what we're doing to the other millions of species around the world we are incredibly selfish and we need to say you know actually look at our impact upon what we're doing to ecosystems around the world and look at what the impact the rest of the world in terms of species is ha is actually having upon our lifestyles and how we behave as a species. So actually, we need to kind of take a step back. We need to learn to live alongside these animals. We may owe our very existence to these animals at some point. So we need to be a lot less selfish. We need to learn to live alongside these animals to respect them because as a species, we have much to benefit from them. Absolutely. And talking about living al alongside them before I, I let you go, Julian, um, we I, I said to you beforehand that I was going to ask you what you thought might be the best exotic pet for a classroom to have. Of course, with the, the, the caveat that there would be a member of staff that was experienced and prepared to take on the full responsibility of that animal's health and well-being. But what would you say is the best exotic pet to keep in your in your classroom? Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer this question. Are you going to say with... none? <laughs> no, no. Okay, good. No, 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 not a, not at all. First of all, we need to understand that whenever we talk about exotic pets, people tend to associate the term exotic with difficult, and that that is not that is not the case. But if I can just if you just give me a couple of minutes on this subject because it is so so important. Mm. Let's expand it. Okay, we're talking in a teachers-based forum, so we're talking about the classroom. But let's just throw this out to the general public now, okay? Because there are far too many animals out there which are filling up sanctuaries, rescues, being sold cheaply on the internet, which are being euthanized, you know, or destroyed because, you know, it's just not working out. We need, to, as animal keepers or as people considering getting a pet for the classroom or a pet for at home, before we start asking questions of the animal, we need to be really honest with ourselves and ask ourselves a few questions. When you look at when animals are dogs, dogs are a classic example, larger snakes can be a classic example. When these animals get given up to rescues or sanctuaries or, you know, are sold cheaply, dumped or euthanized, it's the same excuses that we have as pet keepers. I didn't realize how big it was going to get. I didn't realize how expensive mm. it was going to be. The kids are bored of it. You know, it's too expensive. We haven't got the space. So what I would say is, Every school out there is going to be slightly different. So what I would say is, let's ask ourselves some questions. How much space have we got? How much time have we got? Ah, and teachers don't have a lot of that, let me oh, tell it's, you. It's, it's, this is a really good example. How much time? How much space? What is our budget? Let's have realistic expectations of the animal. Now, tortoises can make for a great classroom pet. 
from a risk assessment perspective, they're very, very low, providing you've got really good hand washing techniques and food preparation protocols in place. And a tortoise may only take an hour a week to get fed, cleaned, health checked and interacted with. Mm. And they're not very dirty, are they? Um, my, I grew up with a, a tortoise. Not particularly, but one hour a week doesn't sound like much time, but that's one hour a week for 52 weeks of the year mm. for 12 months you know, for 12 yeah, months of course, all of the school holidays. But it's that for potentially 80, 90 years. So it's a big it's commitment. A big commitment. It's a huge commitment. So I'm not, if you're asking me, Julian, we want a species out of you, then that, that's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> okay. if, if we're talking nursery school, if we're talking, if we're talking, you know, three to five-year-olds, five to seven-year-olds, then of course we're talking about giant land snails. We're talking about stick insects. We're talking about maybe hissing cockroaches, species which are very, very low risk when it comes to handling. Um, tortoises are a great example because we're talking about uh, food prep as well. For, for tortoises, you've got a lot of activity away from the actual enclosure. You know, you can be growing your own tortoise food if you've got an outdoors area. Mm, you, you're, talking about, you're talking about food preparation. We're talking about hand washing routines. We're talking about maybe growing your own food. There's an awful lot of activity that you can tie in with the tortoise away from the actual enclosure itself. So it would depend upon the age group. It would depend upon how much time we have, how much space you've got. And when I'm talking about time, I'm talking about years of lifespan versus hours of maintenance. So there is no one species which is going to affect and, and it's going to fit everything. Yeah, there's not one size fits all. So forgive me for not answering that question more directly, but everyone's situation, every teacher's, every classroom is going to be slightly different. The same way that every household is going to be slightly different when it comes to keeping a pet at home. Sure, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And that was kind of the answer I was hoping for because um, being an animal lover, I, I can clearly see, and I imagine most of the teachers that will be listening to this um, would say the same. I'm, I'm getting told here we've got an echo. I don't know how to stop the echo. Um, <laughs> that we, um, we wouldn't want to introduce a, uh, an animal into our classroom without knowing full well that we'd be able to care for it and, and see it through. The entirety, the entirety of his life. So, so um, look, Julian, I want to thank you so much for giving up your precious time to share such expertise. Very welcome. It's really, really appreciated. And um, I, I know that you've got an exotic pet shop. I will um, pop in and, and bring the youngsters in to come and see the spiders very soon. You do that. Make sure you do. I will. Take care, Julian. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Right. Okay. So um, that was Julian Clare, exotic pet specialist, and just a huge bank of knowledge there. That was absolutely incredible. All of the information he had um, about exotic pets and spiders, and um, also how that ties in with the classroom and how we should behave around um, false widows and and what are better contingency plans if we come across those things. Um, but 
Up next, I have a very um, a wonderful guest that I'm very excited to, to speak to, and that's Hannah Ricks, who is the co-founder of Reading Mate. Um, and she's also an English teacher, just like myself, um, although she is a classroom teacher. And um, she is going to tell us um, about some ghost walks that she does around the city in which she's based to aid learning and um, she's got some great scary stories for us. And we're also going to be talking scary books as well. So that's quite exciting. So we're going to go over to the news. And uh, after the news, we will be hearing from, from Hannah. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools have faced warnings this week from data privacy watchdogs following the rollout of facial recognition technology in canteens. The systems were initially installed to be more COVID safe, allowing students to make contactless payments. A spokesman for the schools implementing the new technology said the software makes payments faster and over 97% of school communities had given their consent for it to be used. However, a spokeswoman for children's digital rights group, Defend Digital Me, argued that biometrics should never be used for children in educational settings. No ifs, no buts. It's not necessary. Just ban it. The focus group recommended that the least invasive option always be used where young people are concerned. Three schools across Buckinghamshire have been targeted this week by anti-vaccination campaigners. The protest groups targeted the schools with loudspeakers, flyers and QR codes which students were encouraged to scan to listen to a song warning them about the alleged dangers of the vaccine. Police were forced to attend one of the scenes to disband protesters. The county remains on red alert for potential anti-vaccine protests at their schools and have had to issue guidance to staff at schools on how to handle demonstrators. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Right. Okay. Hello. Welcome back from listening to the news. And we are now just about to talk to Hannah Ricks, who is co-founder of Reading Mate. So we'll hear a little bit about that. But she's going to tell us about the ghost walks that she does with her students um, that aids their learning 
and um, we're also going to be talking scary books as well which I'm quite excited about. Now I understand we've had slight technical problems this evening with a little bit of an echo so um, if we have an echo and it's problematic then um, you'll have to bear with me I might have to um, stop the show bring it back see if we can go again afresh but hopefully everything will be fine so whilst I'm talking to Hannah if you have any questions do feel free to message directly into the studio I'd love to hear your questions and put them to Hannah or you can of course um, on the social media platforms ask any questions using my Twitter handle which is at Holly's Classroom or over on Instagram again it's Holly's Classroom um, and of course using the hashtag TT Radio. So, hello, Hannah. Good evening, Holly. Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, do you know, I'm just utterly relieved that there isn't an echo. I've got little pearls of sweat dripping down the side of my face at the moment. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even imagine. I think you're doing a brilliant job. Well done. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. Oh, of course. It's a delight. It's so lovely talking to other teachers and listening to other teachers. Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. It's great, isn't it? I, I I have to say, I listen to quite a lot of the other um the other teachers talk radio shows. Um, when I'm with the children, I'm doing arts and crafts in the kitchen. I've got it on in the background, and it's um it's a nice way of getting a little bit of teacher chat and CPD, um, particularly for a teacher like me that isn't around other teachers very often. So um, yeah, it's a great, great resource. So um, look, why don't you start off by telling us um, where you are in the UK and um, about these ghost walks and um, <laughs> why you use them, how you use them. Um, I think so close to Halloween, this is definitely the, the sort of story we need to hear. <laughs> yes okay thank you Holly so I'm actually based in Norwich um Norwich City which is actually coined the city of stories um and we uh, um it's a couple of years ago now we were t I was teaching uh, the woman in black to my year nines and I thought it would be a brilliant um segue to get them into the spirit of the novel as it were without the pun, mind the pun um, <laughs> to take them on on a ghost walk because there's quite a few ghost walks that are in and around Norwich. Has, um, Norwich has Norwich got a bit of a spooky history then yeah so I hope you're all sitting comfortably I hope you're all <laughs> ready. I've got a couple of nuggets so um, we actually had a whole um, the department, uh, our whole department organised it, and we we did a whole route planned. Um, and and th there's a few because we've actually got we've got the oldest hotel in in Britain. It's 800 years old. Really? Um, yeah, it's called so it's called the Maid's Head Hotel. It's actually a very popular wedding menu if anyone's interested. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got the reason. So it's 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 got his name, the Maid's Head. Um, and because there is supposed to be headless maids wandering the corridors, and 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 if their if their presence is felt, you would you would there'd be a, a strong smell of lavender apparently um, around around the corridors, which is very strange. Um, and then we've also got um, a nine hundred year old castle, um, which is which is Norwich Castle. Um, where you can see um, apparently Robert Kett's body hanging um, every now and then. And there's also a woman in black that apparently 
patrols um, at the grounds as well. Oh, the grounds of the castle. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's just a, a just a just a couple of of very strange. And obviously, this is kind of myth, urban legend, um, bits and pieces. But the kids, the kids loved it. They thrive off that sort of thing, <laughs> though, don't they? I mean, I we have that here in Leighton Buzzard, where I live, and and it's it's a small market town. I think market towns are are ripe for. For, for ghost stories but we have a story in the town that a few of the the sellers underneath the shops are all connected and we've got a really really I think it's uh, over a thousand year old um well the, the original building of the church was over a thousand years years old um and the children absolutely love the idea that there are these secret pathways and ghosts and and there's an old there's a a pub with a a really old history as well and apparently there's a ghost that lives in one of the rooms upstairs and I, I the kids just love that sort of thing don't they they do and it's, it's so nice as well because it brings the city that I think they're so familiar with to life in a really different way um and although the, the trip in in of itself was a little bit of a washout because we got because obviously it was all outdoors we got rained on a lot <laughs> but they were, it had, I, I said it was all pathetic it's all pathetic, pathetic fallacy <laughs> it's, it's all it was all part of the plan we booked it um uh, but the, the 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 one of the best ones we've got um we've got this um within within Norwich we've got plenty of theatres we've got one called Madder Market Theatre and there's apparently a friendly ghost there who um has who's apparently saved someone's life before because he um he he, he moved somebody off the stage as there was a light that was about to fall on him and crush oh. it. so yeah but yeah lots of really so some some are some are more gruesome than others um but yeah they, they it was it, it's, it's a really nice way to get them um i think aware of their surroundings but also thinking thinking about things a bit more creatively um and it was great for a bit of creative writing as well yeah. well there's nothing quite like um doing a trip to or, or having that sort of hands-on or real life experience to really inspire um creative writing I mean it's not quite on the the scale of what what you've done on with your with the the trip when you're teaching women in black um but I was looking at Lord Byron's poetry with um a group of I think it might have been year seven or year eight, mostly boys um, when I was working in Acton um, in West London. And um, they were, I mean, the demographic of of a school in Acton, you know, a lot of the children there were not really connecting very well to sort of romantic poetry and, you know, Lord Byron and... um, Harrow on the Hill was just a, a short train and bus ride away, and that's where the Peachy Tomb is, where you can oh, wow. look out and see the the views that um, Byron saw whilst writing poetry. And um, you, you can't actually sit on the, the Peachy Tomb anymore. There's like a cage built over it because so many people were sitting on it yes. trying to pen poetry that you know all of the sort of inscriptions were getting worn away. Um, but taking them up there to sit there and take in the view and to have a little think about how that made them feel really transformed the sort of pen to paper experience for them. Um, and I think it's doing go that that's I've taught women in black before and I've never thought about doing a ghost walk or, or even any sort of sensory type of experience to to add to or aid their learning or their creativity but that's such a great idea so so tell me about how they how they enjoyed it well so so what they um it was so it was a group of 
year nine yeah so year nine students so we we embarked so we initially they I think um, were mostly excited about the 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 half an hour they had for free and to go to McDonald's (laughs) and get their lunch but before they could do that we 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 had planned a a route and we had um so we had leaders of the and leaders and and separate storytellers so different peers had different stories that they had to tell along the way so we beforehand um students had to research you know the adam and eve pub or the maid's head hotel and they had to research what their story was and then as we arrived at whatever destination it was they had to tell the story Ah, so they Um, led their own ghost so yeah we obviously we we led the sessions beforehand so they all had what the materials they needed but it made them a little bit more excited because oh well this is my story i'm ready to tell it i'm ready to tell it um and I think a lot of it, because there's at certain parts of, of the city, some of the buildings are so beautifully old um, and you you genuinely don't know if anybody has lived in any of these buildings for such a long time. It almost, because so the m- windows are so cracked and faded and the buildings are so dilapidated, it's, it's really, you can kind of envisage some of these really quite spooky characters sort of, um, wisping past the windows and stuff so it was it it was really lovely and obviously the rain was just it was it made it for everyone (laughs) (laughs) all you need a bit of sort of thunder and lightning just to you know tie it off with a big bow I think (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah so it was and I I mean not not all of the students um led stories there was a few that just sort of like just enjoyed listening and and enjoyed the the walking around and that was absolutely fine but those who wanted to lead a story they did and it was it was lovely um and then it yeah it it fed back to some really nice creative writing because we um when we were out and around we made sure that everyone sort of took notice of the buildings and how they looked how it felt to be there and um yeah so it was it was really it was a really great really great trip um did you did you notice like did you actually see a correlation between sort of the trip and the the quality of and the content of their writing um it, so i i would say it, there was definitely a lot more motivation to do it um and where there was a lot more i would say a lot more of the students who were inclined to um add more detail than i think they would have done had they not seen or um perhaps gone into as much detail with learning about the stories so for example if i had just put a picture on the board and said you know who do you think lives here can you tell me a little bit about them um, I don't know how much I would have got from them. Whereas if, you know, we spent the whole day doing it, we went to various locations. So I think they were able to take snippets from certain stories and then amalgamate it into some quite interesting pieces. <laughs> um, it's, it's always peculiar what they what they come up with. I'm always <laughs> quite surprised. I remember um, some years ago doing um, the Philip Pullman um, uh, adaptation of Frankenstein and um, I asked them to write their own act five oh, and um, <laughs> some of the stories I was marking them thinking I, 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 I'm not sure whether these need to be passed on to a safeguarding officer oh, yeah. but they were talking about yeah. throwing going to Nando's with Frankenstein's bride and then then chucking her under a train and like just their, their minds are quite uh, curious things at that yeah, age aren't it- they 
there's a very fine line I think sometimes between creativity and disturbing um, <laughs> especially when it comes to um, those types of things but I'm, I'm all I'm all for it and and especially if there's the if there's the devices in the right places I'll, I'll let it go to be yeah <laughs> yeah if, there, if there's quality of writing then yeah. the bonkers ideas we can we can tolerate those definitely yeah so yeah no it was it, it, it was lovely and I think actually if especially Britain we're so lucky um in this country because my sister-in-law she's American and she you know our country is steeped in so much history um and quite often it's it's pretty grot like pretty grotty history as well we've not mm. been we've not been very nice to each other um so it's quite nice if you if you do want to you know, if you do need any inspiration when it comes to creative writing, you just need to look, you know, back a couple of hundred years and there, there's bound to have been a pretty gruesome murder or, you know, something awful that's happened not too long ago that you can, you know, use as a bit of bait um, to, to get them writing. I think that real life connection for them as well, when, you know, it's a story that has happened not too far from where they are, as opposed to some um, sort of classic story or a story from another part of the country I think that it makes it a little bit more real for them doesn't oh, it absolutely they... yeah and I, I know we've um because we're really lucky we've got um lots of history with uh Budicea or Boudica I'm not I never really know how to say her name <laughs> um, I, I but... think it's one of those it's a potato potato yeah. scenario isn't it <laughs> yeah but she's sort of it's obviously East, East Anglian and I've done I've we've taught um the Romans obviously quite a few times and um, her story always is really, and they can never quite believe how, you know, it, she she roamed the grounds of, you know, not too far from and where where we are and where the schools are, and it's um it, it makes it so much more relatable and and insightful for them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about your love of books and writing and maybe sure. how that led you to start reading mate and you can tell us of course what reading mate is sure yeah thank you holly so um i, I was i've been i count myself really lucky um i my mum and dad are both really big readers and um i've, I've i don't think i've ever known a life without books um so I, I feel really really lucky to have been been brought up with that um and have have been teaching English now for um, eight years, and in the last three years, actually transitioned over to um, a complex needs school, which is wonderful, um, really, really, really wonderful. Very different, um, different way of teaching English, but it's it's been much more creative and, and interesting. So that's been um, excellent. Um, but in the last sort of couple of years, myself and my husband really just wanted to be able to give every child the opportunity to have that love uh, for reading that, that we do because it's, oh, it's so important yeah it's just, and it, it just it's just it's the bedrock to to all learning isn't it um and I just I, I would really I, I'd, I'd, I just hate that it can be and it is such a barrier for students you know without any fault of their own whether it's you know lack of resources or or whatever it is, um, it, it, it just shouldn't be. And I think every child deserves to have that, get that post book feeling. <laughs> There's just yes, nothing, nothing yes. like it. Um, so yeah, we um, we founded the Reading Mate um, app. And since then, it's sort of dominoed. We've launched the free Reading Mate app for parents to use at home, which is a, a tool that they can log and track their child's reading progress, um, get 
bespoke recommendations based on what their child um, likes and 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 what their reading age is. And then we are also um, linking up and launching a very exciting new um, piece, a tool for schools, which links up with the app. So schools will also have access to all of that um, information, and they can get real. Oh, great! So life. so the the schools can see what the children are reading at home. Yeah. And what's being logged on their app. Yes, that's the Yeah. So, um, yeah, so parents and, and schools will have that line of communication. So they'll be oh, able that's to That's what's see. needed, isn't it? Particularly for those that are not getting their teeth into reading. It's that no. connection between all of the, between the parents, the school, the child, that's the book. It. Yeah. And I think for, for from my point of view, I was just so... So, I mean, books are expensive. They're not, it's not, an, it's not a, a, a cheap resource for parents to, to purchase. So, you know, if a school or if a class or a teacher is aware that, you know, little Jimmy um, perhaps doesn't, you know, in order to get from A to B, he needs to have, um, be reading these books, but he knows that perhaps mum and dad can't get them at home. So he'll just get them into the library and then little Jimmy won't miss out. He'll still be able to read books he loves, but we can get them in at school and he can take them home as opposed to mum and dad having to worry about it. So, yeah, we just wanted to make sure that there was more of a communication between home and school that wasn't all sort of spellings and um, mm. maths tests. It was it was for the love of reading and the passion for reading. Um, that's sort of... that's. So it. tell me a bit more about how their reading is logged on the app. Is it... Sure. Do they have to do comprehension tests or is it is it... Yeah. how do they log what they're reading that so that's a good question thank you for that <laughs> so um so the app so it's say um so they tick off each day so monday tuesday wednesday whichever day that they've read um and then they would um uh, rec- so would, they would record whatever book so say uh jimmy is reading zog they w- would complete the book and on completing the book they would have a star rating so it's very simple at the minute we are moving towards having a more journal based thing but we wanted to keep it as as simple as possible for parents um because time is of the essence and also we didn't want it to feel like a huge test and we didn't want it to feel because that's um, going to put off the very children that you're trying to bring in isn't it yeah so we so they get a a five-star rating of one how easy they found it and two how much they enjoyed it and then from that because we've got um we've had over 500 teachers uh, speech and language therapists rate all of the books within the app so we've got very accurate reading ages for and levels for the books within the app um, we can then calculate where they need to go on their journey from zog to get to their perhaps next stage or stay on that stage and then it just keeps moving on from whatever books they continue on that journey so once they finished zog and they found it you know however easy and then how much they enjoyed it will then spit out as many recommendations as they need to that are on that level and then they can continue on that journey onto the smeds and smooths or mog the forgetful cat whatever is going to be next <laughs> and then um, yeah they continue the continue the cycle and hopefully they make their way up all the way to harry potter um wow. so, yeah that must be so useful for parents that maybe are not big readers themselves and um they don't really know what 
book goes next i mean i, I i'm an english teacher i with my children I, I mean we've got more books than we can shake a stick at unfortunately they're in boxes <laughs> and shelves and they're in every nook and cranny um yeah. but you know i would know where to go next and if they like a particular book i would have an idea of where to go next but for lots of parents that just don't have an idea I suppose this is like this is gold dust for them really isn't it absolutely and and also I think parents wear so many hats nowadays it's so much and there's so much for them to keep track of um they're all they're you know they're personal assistants to sort of the, their children sometimes and I think you know the reading mate app we wanted everything to be all in one place so they had all of that information they have got every book they'll have every book their child's ever read on there and they'll also have every book that their child will ever need to to make the progress that they need to make um and then this that our love literacy tool which is the school's um, tool that they can use will also have that information so both school and parent can can support their child with 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 continuing that love of reading wonderful that sounds absolutely amazing um so hannah we're going to go to um some ads to hear from our wonderful sponsors at teachers talk radio um but after that i would really like to talk to you about um your favorite or your top recommendation spooky stories for uh preschool all the way up to let's say gcse would you be happy to to stay on yes definitely yeah 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 excellent okay great we will speak to you in just a couple of minutes Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello, welcome back from the adverts and listening in to what our wonderful sponsors have on offer for teachers and educators um, across the world, 
actually. And welcome back to Hannah Ricks, co-founder of Reading Mate, who's been talking to me about ghost walks that she did to aid learning with her students and um, also about reading Reading Mate, which sounds absolutely fantastic from a, an English teacher's point of view to um, have some sort of help at home for kids to find their next book and to track their reading. It sounds great. Um, but Hannah is now going to talk to me and share her her top spooky reads for kids. So welcome back, Hannah. Yay. Thank you, Holly. <laughs> so um, <laughs> do you have your own personal favourite or are you, I, I always find it hard when I get asked that sort of question. I do. I'm a, li- I'm a little, it's a little bit like my, um, like ice cream flavour or dinner. It really depends on my mood. Um, but uh, sort of when you, when I, when I was thinking about this earlier on today, um, my, my mind and my heart did go to um, sort of Megan Mogg because um, I've got in my um, in my airing cupboard I've got a very tattered copy of my my Megan Mogg book that I had from when I was very young and I I still think they're oh, so how lovely they're such lovely books for children now mainly because they're so simple. Um, for those really, really young readers, they're really lovely and simple. The illustrations are are nice, and the, and Mega Mog just as a as a team, they're just really wonderful. Um, I almost feel like they're the original sort of Winnie, uh, Winnie the Witch um, book. So yeah, that 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 was one of the ones that came to mind. So for sort of those younger readers. Um, Megan Mogg was one. Room on a Broom, Junior Don't Junior Oh Donaldson. well, yes, we've not only have we read that countless times, but we've um, we've watched it countless times too. And Sobia has just said in uh, she's messaged into the studio and said Funny Bones, oh. and that's my one as well. Yeah. I'm with you on that, Sobia. But Funny Bones. <sighs> I think they've both now been made into animations as well, haven't they? Um, the Room on the Broom and Funny Bones. Um, you've got animation. I vaguely remember Funny Bones being a children's TV show. Yeah. I may have imagined that. But, yeah. Um, yes. And that, so there was that. And then for our sort of more uh, preschoolers, um, sort of early years, there's. Um, I I say boo, you say who, uh, by John Kane, which is a really lovely. Uh, it's a, a sort of a performative response book, um, which is sort of it's, it just goes through a series of rhymes, um, so you can have that sort of I say this, and then you, a, a, a sort of a retort book that you can do with those early early readers, which is quite nice. Um, and then another one by one of my favourites, Oliver Jeffers. Um, called There's a Ghost in This House. Um, it sounds that the, the title sounds spooky, but it's not. It's not. It's not that spooky. So it's it's just about a little girl who um, welcomes you into this grand grand house, um, and um, she's she wants you to help her find ghosts in this house. Um, and it's not. It's not that scary as as it sounds. It's really really classic old style black and white photos with formal caption captions, but it's interactive because it's got these lovely overlays throughout the book um, where the ghosts are hiding in quite an amusing way. Oh, um, how lovely. Yeah, so you have to spot the ghosts. You can, so that, you know, you'd read it and then ch- the children would try and spot the ghosts with these little overlays. So that's that's a, that's a nice one. What sort of one. age would you say that one would, would be suitable? I'd, I'd probably put, put that one at a, a four to five, four to five year old. Um, Maybe if, if, if those who are maybe a 
more advanced three to four but yeah for four to five readers I would say for that one it's a really nice interactive book but they could also the captions are quite simple um but the the the, the black and white illustrations are really nice and it sort of feels quite ghostly um so a good one for for Halloween maybe to sit down and read with your children yes definitely with your younger yeah. children yeah I, okay yeah. um and then I would say sort of for um the sort of six and sevens um I couldn't not say jill murphy's the worst witch i was um, i was hoping that you would, you would mention <laughs> the worst witch my yeah. um we recently christened my middle and young kids daughter and, and what we've always done with godparents is ask them to um gift a book and to yeah. write in the cover why the book is special to them or why they think it might be special to oh, their lovely. goddaughter and um eliza's lovely godmother amber gave her a copy of the worst witch um, with Aww. a really, really lovely message in it that, you know, is such a special, they're, they're such, I remember reading them in, in primary school and they're just yeah. really special stories, aren't they? They're timeless as well. It's like it's like the witches, Roald Dahl's The Witches. They are, um, they're really timeless. And, I, and again, I think that's another one that's been made into a TV series now as well is The Worst Witch. Um, yes actually I was watching that with my stepdaughter on the weekend it's yeah. it's everywhere it's a really good series actually I was thinking I'll pop this on and maybe I'll do a little bit of work in the background but I did find myself getting sucked into the world of Mildred Hubble yeah yeah so I think and 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 they're all I would say on the same sort of uh, on the same sort of level actually the witches and the worst witch they're they're lovely um and actually I don't think they discriminate for for gender either I think because of the the nature of the stories it's sort of that mischievous school years um which is quite nice um I think for 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 all all genders to enjoy mm. um and then sort of moving up the ages a little bit sort of to a 9 plus um I really like um Neil Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard book which is sort of a graphic novel um it's got I would say Nightmare Before Christmas vibes nice um, but it's 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 lovely um and it, again it sounds it sounds really harrowing the graveyard book but it's not it is a love it is a nice and it's a graphic novel so it's something that would be quite nice to maybe just browse over on on Halloween afternoon yeah. you know? um it's not it's not too heavy going so that that's quite nice and it's Again, if you've got any reluctant readers, it's quite a nice book to get them engaged in the spooky season. Um, and then I did have a little think, um, moving sort of up to to the elevens, is um, the Skullduggery Pleasants. Now they're more, I would say, they're mystery and a little bit. They're evil. like the modern gothic horror, aren't it's, they? For it, modern gothic horror for children. Exactly. Modern, modern day, not modern but yeah yeah no you're, yeah so that's it so they're sort of um they're they're, they're almost like i would say a, a a more mature lemony snickets so they're not um they're not as mischievous as a lemony snicket they're perhaps a little bit more spooky than a lemony snicket but they are i, I would say um that they're, they're they're a good and also they're a series so if your child does really enjoy them and there is you know they do range in ages then you kind of got a really gold, good gold mine of books there. Yes, that, and that also they're... I think for boys as well. I mean, I know yeah. girls like them too, but if you've got that reluctant reader yeah. and you've tried him um, with um, David Walliams or, or, or Wimpy Kid or all of the things that you think they might like, actually Skullduggery Pleasant, I think, can can hook them in with that sort of fear factor. Definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's, a, I think, yeah, like you said, boys and girls would enjoy it, but it's a good, it would be a good, if you have got any reluctant boy readers, it's a good book to get them hooked on. And, and there is so many of them as well to choose from. And they're, they're not, um, serialized too much either so they're quite good if you know I don't think there's that daunting thing well if I've got to read this one do I have to read 10 others it's you know it's quite nice um and I do I don't know if this is a bit of a a a bit of a red herring but I always love to start reading um Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone at this time um mainly I don't know if it's because (laughs) of the lead up to Christmas um but we would also always usually read that with our year sevens because um, they do make reference to Halloween um, in in the Philosopher's Stone, so that's quite a nice one as a um, like a, a shared read, perhaps with your with your children, so you could read it aloud. It's a um, really nice classroom reader, actually. It, yeah, and they love it. I've I've ne- I've never I've never taught it to a class who who literally would I'd have to sort of push them out of the door to go to their next lesson. <laughs> yeah. They just. They love it. And it's so, I think, especially at this time of year, as things are getting crisp and cold and the descriptions in it, especially of the sort of the, the, the dining hall. And yeah, it's just, it's lovely. So that's, that's a nice one as a, yeah, a read aloud or a class read or a shared read. And then sort of for your older readers, your sort of young A's, um, I would, I've come across this book, um, The City of Ghosts by V.E. Schwab, I think you say, I'm not sure if I've said that correctly but it's set in edinburgh um and i i have after teaching jekyll and hyde edinburgh has always been on my hit list as as quite a spooky city and it's that's my ambition to take a group of students and edinburgh next to go and (laughs) put together a plan for your your head teacher why it's going to really improve outcomes (laughs) exactly Um, well the old town and the new town you know that is jekyll and hyde and that's a that's a whole other there we go (laughs) um but yeah so that it's about it's it's a little girl um i say a young girl cass who drowned um um it's not harrowing it's not awful but she can um it's a really interesting creative outlook um and she can pull back a veil that separates the living and the dead so she can listen to both sides of the story um so the the living and dead's perceptions of of life and emotions and relationships and it's a really she's sort of this in between um and she doesn't really know where she where she fits um, that sounds that sounds like a great story. Yeah, it's I called want to the go City get of... that one and read it. I'm going to make a note of this right now. <laughs> it's the called City. the. I can I can send them over to you, Holly, in an email. Do and, yeah. and in fact do, and I will share them because I imagine yeah. there's people listening to this that are also um, typing or or making a note of different book titles that they've just heard. Yeah, though, and then obviously I do. Um, I do really like the Woman in Black. Um, it's, it is a short story. Um, and it, it, although the, the the prose is a bit complex, it is a really brilliant story, um, and it's got a twist at the end that I never saw coming. Um, but I, I do really really like it. And um, for that sort of key stage three, so thirteen. 13, 14, it's a, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good story. If you've got any ambitious readers, The Woman in Black, Susan <coughs> Hill, is a good one, um, I would say. And I think um, quite a lot of um, schools that look at it in uh, upper key stage three or key stage four, and I know lots of GCSE yeah. classes look at it at G- uh, in drama as yeah. well. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant one to see on stage. If you can, it is a really, really good one to see on stage. I did actually, we took some of our students to see it. Um, and that was, it, it, I don't know if you've seen it on stage, but it is. I, I have, and I, I I just have really clear and yeah. quite embarrassing memories of the children <laughs> jumping out of their skin yes. and, and some sort of elderly um, audience members getting in a bit of a huff that ours were going, <laughs> you know every time something scared them yeah because you went and ruined their their matinee um so yeah it was it was um yeah it's a brilliant one to see on stage but yeah that's um they're sort of the ones that I've that that came to mind um I suppose I I am a bit of a sucker for for Dracula and Frankenstein as well I will say I I just like the writing and the sense of this sort of elongated sentence structure of the, the time yeah it just I think it really um that I mean I I love I did a whole gothic module at university and I just I devoured it because I just love um I, I just love it all Poe Edgar Allan Poe and it's just it's just it just fills you with chills and this time of year it's a really nice thing to get stuck into and I think there are some students those key stage four students who do have really hungry minds and perhaps really like that kind of rich language um, and and Frankenstein and and Dracula especially are really good um, for for that. So yeah, I, I, that 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 would be sort of my overall recommendation. A great say. list. I, I I feel like I want to start you know at the bottom with Megan <laughs> Mog and actually yeah. like just pack the girls off to their grandparents for the for the weekend <laughs> and just work my way through that whole list and then yeah. you know end with. Frankenstein and and um, Dracula, but I mean, you mentioned um, Poe. I'm doing a, a live stream storytelling on Sunday night. Um, so if there's anyone who, who wants to to watch me make a little bit of a fool of myself for my online oh. students, then then there are free tickets on Eventbrite. Um, but I'm going to read Telltale Heart. <gasps> and um, oh. I ummed and ahed about it because a lot of the children that come to my online lessons, they're sort of that eight to 11 8 to 12 age range and I even have some five and six year olds as well and I was worried that it might be a bit too scary for them but you know I I had that conversation with some teacher friends and and some friends who were you know serious lit fans and um, we sort of all were we all agreed that maybe eight upwards and sort of let the parents know in advance it is quite frightening maybe read it first if you're not sure if your child will um, cope well but I am really looking forward to reading it in a nice frightening manner yes. um, I've got a wig I've got some uplighting I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have pumpkins all around me it's oh, going Holly, to be a bit, of a, amazing. a bit of a frightening performance last year actually I I did it and I read um The Monkey's Paw Oh wow! And um, which is is a great short story, and it's a great one for building up that that tension, and you yes. know, and then and then being sort of left at the end wanting so much more, and it being the end of the story. Absolutely, and like I mean, things like that as well. There's so many. Again, I think in this country, um, we've got so many quite gothic abbeys and things like you know, you've got uh, is it Whitley? Um, Whitby, Whitby uh, up up north, where you know the Dra- Dracula's um abbey is you can go and see the steps uh, which is all it's brilliant you can i don't think you can actually walk up the steps now but it's it's so it's it's got such a they have a whole gothic festival a whole sort of weekend of it up there i mean this weekend in whitby will probably be absolutely phenomenal 
Um, but oh, how fun! It's going to be like summer solstice, but at, yes. at Stonehenge, isn't it? But yeah. Halloween at, at Whitby. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah, well, look, um, you're very welcome to, I'll send you the link afterwards, Hannah. You can have a I little, would love to. A little uh, watch back of me reading um, Telltale, Telltale Heart and Nevermore as well. I've got, I've got a, a navy blue plush um, pumpkin with Nevermore in silver sparkle on it oh. already that um, is getting me a little bit excited for for Sunday but oh, um doth my cap to you <laughs> thank you uh, so Hannah thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me and you know sharing with us about your exciting trip I, oh, no. I, I would have loved to have been a student on that trip <laughs> I'm sure lots of listeners thought the same wish they had that sort of thing when they were at school probably lots of them actually thinking now that's what I'll do when I come round to my um gothic horror module or you know when I, well, I come round to doing some spooky creative writing at Halloween next year so you've probably oh. inspired a, a generation of teachers this evening Hannah. oh no it's always, it's always good and if not I'm sure there'll be there's always a gruesome story to tell we aren't we aren't the nicest we haven't been the nicest of um, people over over the years right so thank you Hannah and um, you know, maybe come back another time and we'll talk some more about reading mate sounds lovely. great no no that's lovely thank you for having me Holly enjoy the rest of your evening thank you you too Hannah bye-bye um, so I've just realised that we've been chatting for absolutely ages. The show has run over, a bit like my lessons. Need to work on my pacing. Um, but uh, you can find me again two weeks from today. It's actually um, the 11th of November, so I'm going to be um, talking armistice and um, how we can um, really bring that to life in the classroom. So do come back and see me then. Thank you very, very much for joining me this evening. I know I've waffled a bit, but um, that's what—that's why you're here. That's why you're listening to me, right? So uh, take care. Have a good evening. Good night from Leighton Buzzard and Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.